question. Brilliant. Uh, so yeah, you'll find it very helpful to have Bibles open and to, there are some talk notes um, as well so you can see where we're going if you want to take notes. Thank you Lillian for praying for us earlier. And uh, if you are not, if you are not born in the UK but you want to become a citizen of the UK, there are certain um, things uh, that you need to meet, certain criteria that you need to meet. You need to be over 18, be of good character, be living in the UK, meet language requirements, and pass the life in UK test. And maybe some of you might have done that. But this life in UK test, I wonder how you would get on, perhaps particularly if uh, you were born here in the UK. But some of them are fairly straightforward. When is Christmas Eve? 24th December, okay, pretty good. Uh, what was the name of the king who lost the Battle of Boyne? No? Oops. Oh! James? James II. James II. Close. That's very good. Very impressed. Uh, how many people make up a jury in Scotland? 14, I think I heard. Was that? 14. 15. I think. <laughs> you said it quite confidently. You got me worried. I think it's 15. When were women given equal voting rights? Nineteen twenties. Nineteen eighteen. Twenty nine. So women. So again, you've got to read the questions carefully. So women over thirty were given the vote in nineteen eighteen. But equal voting rights, so that's women over the age of 21, was 1928. So pretty close. So pretty hard to pass that test, <laughs> live from the UK test. That's, what, well, that's how you, one becomes a UK citizen if you're not. But what, what about if, for those who are UK citizens? Now what are British citizens like? We sometimes have in mind kind of characteristics of certain nationalities. I'm just going to give you one because it's quite a polite, quite a positive one. Um, you know, Swiss, very polite, very efficient. We might have kind of associations, and you can probably think of some less flattering ones. What about Christians? What is a characteristic of being God's people? What are Christians like? Well, Paul, in our verse, turns to answer that question because so far in chapter 1, he's predominantly been focusing upon himself, his own experiences and, and how things have been for him. In, verse, in chapter 1, verse 27, that focus switches from himself to the Philippians. And he speaks to them. And what does he say in, in chapter 1, verse 27? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, the eagle-eyed among you will notice that there is a, a little footnote there that directs you down to the bottom, which is, only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. And our, our first point, and, and I guess the umbrella um, for the rest of this talk, is live as citizens worthy of the gospel. Now, the city of Philippi was a strange one. Okay, it was way kind of east of, of Italy, of Rome. Um, it was the east of, of Greece. And yet it was a Roman colony. 
And so if you were a, a, a citizen of Philippi, you were, were, in fact, a citizen of Rome. Because 80 or 90 years ago, um, it had become a, a Roman colony. And the people were very proud of that fact. If you were a Philippian citizen, you were very proud because you were also a Roman citizen. It was a really significant thing. But Paul, in this letter, says, well, it's great that you're a citizen of Philippi, but actually you have dual citizenship. And in fact, this other citizenship is more important. So just cast your eyes across to chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship, our as God's people, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians we have dual citizenship of Rome and of heaven, of UK or wherever else it might be, and of heaven. And heaven is the primary citizenship. To be a Roman citizen brought certain privileges, but it also brought certain expectations of how you should live. And to be citizens of heaven brings certain privileges. It also brings certain expectations. Paul encourages them, says, look, live lives worthy, live as citizens worthy of the gospel. Paul is not saying that we need to live in such a way as to make ourselves worthy of the gospel. He's not saying you've got to live in such a way that all of a sudden you become deserving of the gospel. Now remarkably, something like 75% of people pass the life in UK test. But no one passes the life in heaven test. Not one. No one meets the requirements and no one has any hope of doing so, no matter how hard they might try. Our entrance to that kingdom comes only because of the Lord Jesus. He, as it were, took the test for us. That is the only way we become citizens of heaven. We can't make ourselves worthy or deserving of the gospel and the blessings of that gospel. But as citizens of heaven, our lives should be reflecting the worth of the gospel. Think of it like, like this. Um, perhaps, uh, in, forgive the sporting analogy, but perhaps a, uh, a footballer who signs for a new club, and as they're presented the, the shirt, they said, Look, make sure you, you play in a way worthy of the shirt. Or uh, perhaps someone is elected to um, an, a public office, a really important position. Make sure you fulfill your role uh, worthy of that office. What we're saying there is that the club or the the position is worthy, it's excellent. And so you kind of live up to that. That's what Paul is saying here. The gospel is supremely valuable, ultimately excellent, the best thing. Let your lives be worthy of the gospel. Look, it's the good news that saves The good news that says, and and even though you failed the test and have no hope of passing the test, yet it is the good news that says that you can have your sins forgiven by trusting in Christ. You can be made righteous, that is perfect and right in God's eyes because of what Jesus has done. And it's that wonderful gospel 
Our, our lives have been saved by it. And now, as God's people, our lives should li- be lived in a manner worthy of that gospel. Well, what does it mean? So what does it mean to live as citizens worthy of the gospel? Now, I think actually probably this is an umbrella uh, headline for definitely the, the, next, the rest of the chapter uh, and quite possibly further on in the book. But right off the, the bat, as it were, we, ha- we find three things, three examples, not separate things, but combined things, which means to live a life worthy of the gospel. So let's read on. Start from the beginning, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one, one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So let's see those, those three things. First off, stand firm. Stand firm. This is probably the, the, the main idea. Remember, Paul here is in chains. He's got a, probably a Roman soldier each side of him. And I think probably inspired, perhaps, by what he, what he sees there. He gives us a, a military word. That word to stand firm. Like, be unmoving. Don't be knocked down. Hold the line. And of course the Romans were absolute masters of that in their military tactics. Hold that line. Shields down. uh, Shields over the top. uh, Spears and swords coming out. Hold that line. And that's what Paul encourages the Philippians to do. But just like the Roman army, that was something to be done together. The, the Roman soldiers, they all c- combined, they fought together, they joined as one. And Paul says, look, your standing firm should be done together. Have a look again down at verse 27. It's standing firm in one spirit. It's not clear, but I think that's probably talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who, who dwells and lives in all of God's people. He is the one who unites all God's people. Coming from many different backgrounds, many different characters that we all are, we all have the same spirit. And he says, stand firm. But again, what what, what does this mean? What does this standing firm, shields together, holding the line? What does that mean for the Philippians and for us? Well, from the rest of the letter, I think we can see it means at least two things. Proclaiming and protecting. Firstly, proclaiming. That, that really has been the, the message of chapter 1. That's what Paul's focus has been. He's been encouraging them by his own proclamation. Yes, I'm in chains. Yes, I'm in prison. But that hasn't stopped me from preaching the good news. No, it's brilliant. I've got a captive audience, so I'm just going to preach to them. To stand firm is to, to stand on the purpose of the gospel. The gospel's purpose is to be shared, to be spoken. It is good news. To stand firm on the gospel is to to keep doing that, as Paul has been doing it. So he encourages them and us to as well. Proclaiming the gospel, protecting as it were, particularly as we move into chapter 3, we're going to see that the Philippians face um, false teachers. 
They had trouble from the outside. These, these legalistic teachers who were saying that you needed to, to earn your own righteousness. You had to work your way into good standing with God. And Paul is going to call them, look, no, stand firm. Stand firm on the truth of the gospel that it is Jesus' righteousness that counts. Don't be moved from that. Now that's kind of from the book wider, but actually these ideas are reinforced more than back in verses 27 and 28, because they explain it. So again, look down with me, verse 27. Standing firm in one spirit, that should really be stand firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So first we had standing firm, now we've got striving and he's, he's switching metaphors from a military one to a sporting one. That, that, that word for strive is where we get our word for athletics or athlete. So he's saying, look, together be athletes. Together strive. Together contend. Together compete. And once again, it's something that isn't done by yourself. It's, it's done together. Do you see that? With one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So so the picture isn't just of that that runner, going it alone. No, no, it's the the rugby scrum. It's a a team sport. It is to be something to be done together as you link arms and, and you push like a, a rugby scrum of one or a, a shield wall of one isn't going to do anything. It's not possible. And Paul is saying it again, repeating it again and again here through these, these words. Christianity is a team sport. I was held last week by May's children's um, item. What did she say again? Team lions down. Team lions down. That's what Paul was saying. Look, you're team Philippians. We are team lions down. And we strive together as one. And what is the purpose of our striving? What what are we in the rugby scrum together doing? We are striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. But it's not my faith in a gospel. It's the faith in the gospel. This is an objective thing. The facts, the reality of the gospel... That is what we're to be striving together. Sharing that message. Doing that purpose for which the gospel is here. I was so encouraged this morning. I, I turned up for here this morning. I think there are at least 15 people here before me. 15 people because we are striving together as a church family to have the gospel go out. We have people setting up chairs. We have people set up, setting up children's stuff, tea and coffee, music. Because we do it together. A passion for life, we talked about. That as we, were, we are seeking to strive by side for the gospel and a passion for life, bringing that message out, we do it together. Table events, we're joining forces, as it were, together. The Christmas events, when it comes to mold wine and mince pies, we suggest you, you might want to do it if your vineyard group is broken down into prayer triplets or just to get into threes. Do those, those little things together. Again, in prayer triplets, what are we doing there? One of the things we're doing in prayer triplets is praying for each other's witness. Because you're in it together. It's not simply the person who's seeking to speak to Bob 
But actually, you've got other two people praying for that as well. We do it together. And how much better is it doing stuff together? You know, when you're faced with something really hard, something difficult, some struggle, is it better to do it alone? Or is it better to do it with others? It's far better to do it with others. And we strive side by side together for the faith of the gospel. As a whole church, Team Lions Down, it's broken down, vineyard groups, prayer triplets, friendships, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then thirdly, so standing firm, striving, not scared. So again, look down with me. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So this is the first mention in Philippians of the opponents, not of Paul, but of the Philippians. And it's those people I've mentioned already who, who come in chapter 3. And he says, look, those are people who are outside of the church, who are causing trouble for them. And he says, don't be frightened. It's, the, again, the word used of sometimes like horses, you know, they get frightened and they, they shy away trying to get out of there. And Paul says, look, don't be frightened. Don't be frightened by your opponents in anything. Don't be like that. And so when there are people and there's pressure on you saying, that's not the message of the Bible. No, 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 this is the message of the Bible. Don't be frightened. And when people oppose you to to get you to try and soften or to change the gospel message, no, don't be frightened. When people try and get you to stop sharing the message of the gospel, don't be frightened. Because the gospel has done everything that we need to not be frightened. I think this is the point of what we saw um, just last week. Why Paul is sharing his great hope for the future. Because look, what's the worst that somebody could do to, to us, as it were, from this world? What's, what's the most loss we could could have in this world where it's to die. And Paul is saying, no, look, to die is gain. In the gospel, we have the ultimate hope, the ultimate and wonderful thing to look forward to. And so we don't need to be frightened. Oh, it's going to be hard. And there are times when it is going to be pretty scary. But don't be moved away from the gospel and what it's about. Now, again, in the UK now, that opposition is fairly low level, certainly a lot lower than the Philippians were going to be facing, and Paul himself. You know what? But if we're not standing in the small things, when the serious things come, which they may do, stand firm, striving, not afraid, not scared. We are to live lives worthy of the gospel. Sometimes if, we, if you're struggling to understand what something means in the Bible, hopefully we get in there, but it can be helpful to think of the opposite. Okay, right? Well, what are lives that are unworthy of the gospel? Well, lives that are unworthy of the gospel are those that turn their back on the gospel, who renounce it, who don't stand when under pressure but wither. Unworthy of the gospel, to be lazy, to make no effort at sharing the gospel. 
Unworthy lives are, are, are lives where I am the most important person here and I don't need anyone else and I'm going to do it by myself. Lives that are unworthy of the gospel are those that are frightened by opposition and that, that fear forces change because we're not believing the gospel. What are lives that are worthy of the gospel? They're lives that promote the gospel. Again, would this be our aim, not just as individuals, but us as a church family? Have a look on. He goes on in verse, the middle of verse 28. This, so this, living lives that are worthy of the gospel, fearlessly, unitedly proclaiming, standing for the gospel, this is a clear sign to them, to the opponents, of their destruction but of your salvation, and that from God. So this, living lives worthy of the gospel, is a sign. And it's a sign of their destruction, the opponent's destruction, but of your salvation. How so? Well, twice... Uh, so far in, in chapter 1 we've, we've seen reference to the day of Jesus Christ the day of Christ the day when Jesus is going to return and judge all humanity and divide into some to salvation some to destruction but our lives now indicate the outcome on that, for, on that day So if somebody opposes the message of Jesus and somebody opposes his people who are sharing that message of Jesus, well, it marks them out. On the flip side, for those who are believing, holding firm to the gospel, those who are seeking to share that gospel, well, it marks them out as those who are going to receive salvation. Again, think like if they weren't, if somebody wasn't converted, when opposition, when real hostility came, if they're not converted, well, they're going to get out of here. They're going to turn their back. They're going to change to get out of the suffering. But to stand firm, striving side by side, not afraid in those oppositions, well, it's a clear sign of God's work in their life. Now, again, there are people in our church family. I know we've gone through hardships for Christ, facing discrimination at work, or perhaps more, far more painfully disapproval of family because of the gospel and speaking for it. That's real pain. But it's a sign of salvation, a sign that God has worked in you. It is a sign, and this is also a gift see that verse 29 for it has been granted to you that word granted is the word for uh, gifted or graced graced to you what's been graced what's been gifted to the Philippians and to God's people has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here I still have. Believing in Jesus is a wonderful gift, isn't it? 
to believe in Jesus, what we see of him in the gospel, and to receive those gospel blessings. What a wonderful gift it is for God's people. Yes, please. It has been gifted to you not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. Maybe that's a gift I could do without. You know, if you were this Christmas time to say, hey, happy Christmas, Rich, here's a a Christmas present for you. I've given you a gym membership for three months. It's good for me, but I don't want it. Personally, I know gyms are great, and I encourage you to go to gyms. But it's a gift. It's a good thing for me. It'd be good for me to do, but I don't want it. And I think that's how we can see suffering. It's a gift. I, I, just, I don't want it. We don't think of enduring suffering, of enduring persecution, as a gift. But that's what Paul says it is. It's a gift because, well, two, two things. I think, firstly, because it's a sign when we endure that suffering, when we endure persecution for being Christ, it is a sign of our salvation. There's a kind of seal of authenticity. But also it is through hardships and through persecution that we grow, that our trust in Jesus deepens, our reliance on him and our commitment to him strengthens. Called to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does it mean to be... English, British citizen, Swiss citizen, whatever. What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? It means to live lives worthy of that gospel. It means to be stand, standing firm, to be striving, to not be scared. That's what it means to be led to live lives worthy of the gospel. And we'll see more things in future weeks. But team lions down. Would that be our aim in everything too? Let's pray that God would work that in us. Father, what's Paul longed for the Philippians? Please, would it be true for us too? Would our lives be worthy of the wonderful gospel of Christ? Would we be fearless and united in the gospel and in sharing that gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, for, for next week, it, in a sense, actually, I'd prioritise the, the song that May's taught us, that we're going to look at that passage next week in chapter 2. Um, so if you're going to learn, learn one thing, I'd probably go with that song. But if you did want something from these verses today, um, also I'd encourage you to look at verse 27 28. Try and learn that together, uh, individually or as a family or as friends. And again, the passage next week to read through and pray through will be chapter 2, 1 to 11. Thanks, Jim.